Brought to you by the WZIP Sports Team, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. Featuring in-depth interviews. I didn't really plan to ask this, but since you brought it up, what's it like kind of having like your own meme? Like, how does that make you feel? <laughs> Exclusive original content. He crosses paths with another best in the world. Oh, that gets you excited, don't it? Look. Oh, that gets me excited. And of course, the hottest takes. My dad used to have this saying, if you don't like the series, you don't like football. Well, like- I say I'm a pretty big football fan, and I despise the Steelers. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so get ready, because it's time for SPT Overtime. It is overtime for the best sports talk show there is, was, and ever will be. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sports Power Talk Overtime. I'm Jake Marin, and I'm joined by Alex Henry. What's up, guys? And today, we are talking about the card of the year. We had a huge show for UFC 276, thinking that was going to be the card of 2022. Clearly, we did not know what the promotion had planned for October. It's finally fight week for UFC 280, Oliveira versus Makachev, going down in Abu Dhabi, Alex. You ready for this, my man? Dude, I'm so ready, Jake. I feel like we've been waiting forever for this card, and now it's only six days away. It's hard to believe that the last pay-per-view was Ferguson Diaz. Yeah. It's finally UFC 280 Fight Week. And before we get started, here's a quick standings update with the shuffle of UFC 279. We both went 0-2. Alex, you're sitting at 30 and 10, and I'm sitting at 26 and 14 since keeping track of these predictions. Without further ado, though, let's get right into the action going down this Saturday afternoon by starting with the first fight on the main card at women's flyweight between Caitlin, blonde fighter Chukagian, and Manon, the beast Fior. Alex, women's flyweight bout. It was originally scheduled for September 3rd. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, you know, looking at Caitlin, she had she's a really good boxer and she's lost to a lot of tough opponents. In my opinion, she needs to win this fight and probably a couple more if she wants to get another shot at the title. But if she loses this fight, it probably will be her last go around um because she is getting sort of old for the division, not necessarily for MMA, but there's a lot of young talent here. And she's going to start getting overlooked. Uh, looking at Fior, though, um, if Fior can win this, it's the opposite. If Fior can win this fight, uh, she should get a shot at the title. Uh, it's kind of what I think. But stylistically, she's a really busy striker. Uh, throws with a lot of power. Has an 83% takedown defense uh, and can fight on the ground as well. I think Caitlin's a really good fighter, and I think she should win because she has, one, more experience, and two, I think she is a little more of a precise striker. But I think she's not gotten lucky, but she's been able to take every opportunity that she can and capitalize, I guess. So I don't think she's going to be able to capitalize on any more opportunities especially versus somebody like Fior who is very very good it's not just like one of these other prospects that Caitlin can beat uh it's it's no joke I think I think that uh Fior is a better fighter so I'm going with Fior Fior the underdog 
Caitlin Chukagian for me, you know, she's 18 and four. Her last two losses were to the best of the best of the division and Jessica Andrade and the champion Valentina Shevchenko. She's found her stride lately, though, and has won four decisions in a row in impressive fashion. Of course, that last fight was a split decision win over Amanda Rebos, but Rebos had a huge third round. I still scored the rounds one and two for Chukagian for the win. She isn't a fighter, but or she isn't a finisher. Chukagian is, but her game plan in fights allow her to win decisions against most other fighters. And I kind of agree with what you said in terms of if Chukagian wins, what does that mean for her title shot implications against Shevchenko? Because at this point in her career, it's almost like Chukagian is the gateway fight for many fighters to get to Valentina Shevchenko. Chukagian has been tested lately has beaten women like Cynthia Calvillo, Jennifer Maya, and Amanda Ribas in her current winning streak. I'm not sure how much interest there is in seeing her fight Shevchenko for the belt again, but a win on Saturday would go a long way, and she's been ranked number one for a long time. For Fior, she's 9-1 with six wins via KO and six first-round finishes. She's won 11 in a row if you count exhibition fights. She has a 53% striking accuracy, and lands nearly two more strikes than she absorbs per minute in the octagon. Fior has been on a tear since she joined the UFC, and she's gone 4-0 with two knockout victories. That last fight was a unanimous decision win over Jennifer Maya. Fior nearly doubled Maya in total strikes, more than doubled her in significant strikes, and beat Maya at her own game by landing more takedowns as well. I've been really impressed with Fior's UFC career so far. She has finishing capabilities. She's talented enough to get back to her feet when opponents get her down to the ground as well. And she can take other fighters down as she's had a takedown in each one Mm -hmm. of her UFC fights. I absolutely love this fight and matchup for the women's flyweight division. Chukagian is slightly taller and more lengthy than Fior, but Fior has looked fantastic since joining the UFC in January 2021. Chukagian's opponents in her four-fight winning streak have a combined record of 50-20-2, and and Fior's in her four fights in the promotion have a combined record of 44-16-2. They're fighting very similar women in terms of competition. Both women are performing potentially at the best of their respective careers, but I'm going to go with the more experienced fighter. I wouldn't be surprised if Fior wins by KO or by decision, but I can see the veteran Chukagian using her length, fighting her style of fight, avoiding the big blows of Fior, and overcoming the absurd odds of being an underdog here and win two of the three rounds to kick off the main card of UFC 280. So, Right off the bat, Alex, we're disagreeing on a fight. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you in terms of Chukagian should win this fight, right? Because the points that you said. Uh, I I do think Fiore might be a more powerful striker, and she's a more proven powerful striker, too, not to take away from Chukagian. But I don't I don't know. Like I said, I don't know how much longer Caitlin can continue to win. And there's always a point in every UFC fighter's career, every single good UFC fighters career there's a point where they just start to lose and I'm not saying that you know Caitlin loses this fight she goes and loses her next five but it means that she goes on the decline is all I'm saying and I think that Fiora is the one to do that now if Fiora isn't the one to do that then I think Caitlin's got a real shot to continue to do something 
Yeah, I agree with you. Before we move on to the next fight, what's next for the women in the UFC in terms of title fights for bantamweight and flyweight? And how does this fight to kick off UFC 280 play into that title picture? I mean, yeah, this fight does a lot. If if um, Fiore can win, I think Fiore should at least challenge for the belt. I don't think that she gets it. Um, but why not? If you know, if Caitlyn's the one that's been keeping everybody out of the flyweight division, and Fiore can beat Caitlyn, then that's a good enough reason to say, "Hey, I deserve a uh, shot at the belt." But I mean, Shevchenko's so good, and so is Amanda Nunes, right? And they're both just wiping through their weight classes. So I feel like everybody just wants to see them fight each other. Do you think Shevchenko Nunez is next, or do you think the UFC tries putting Nunez against a girl like Ketlin Vieira right now? You know, the UFC should put Amanda Nunez versus uh, Ketlin, but I don't think they will. So this is my take on it. If Chukagian wins, I see Nunez Vieira, and I see Shevchenko Chukagian. I really think if Chukagian wins her fifth straight fight, Regardless of its of if it's a decision or a crazy finish, I think Jukagian deserves it. Like I said, she's been ranked number one for so long. So I think those are the two matchups to make. And if Fior wins, I think Amanda Nunes versus Valentina Shevchenko makes sense. I wouldn't give Fior a title fight if she beats Jukagian. Maybe if it's by insane knockout in the first round. But I'd rather see Fior versus Alexa Grasso who just picked up a win on Saturday. Be a good fight. Those are the two fights I would make if I was booking the women's divisions in the UFC. But let's move along to the second fight on the UFC 280 main card. It's at a lightweight bout here between number six in the world, Benil Dariush, taking on the number nine lightweight in the world, Mateusz Gamer. Gamrot, Gamrot, the minus 195 favorite, Dariush, the plus 165 dog. Alex, who do you like? Jake, I want to say that I think Benil is the most overlooked fighter in UFC. Not the most underrated fighter, because there's a difference between overlooked and underrated. He's very properly rated. This matchup is a very good matchup for him. But in terms of how people view him, they I feel like they just look right over him. He's on a very impressive seven-fight winning streak. He's a great wrestler. He has a BJJ black belt. He's a great striker. If he would have fought Islam when he was supposed to, he might have beat him. I don't know. He he has looked very, very dominant, and I think he's overlooked because he's dominant in all aspects of the game, whether it is his wrestling, it is his striking, it is his uh grappling and submission skills I think Benil is that guy and I'm kind of sad that he's been cheated out of a title shot so many times in the UFC but looking at Gamrot man everything I said about Benil I can say for Gamrot but better like I genuinely think Gamrot has the same amount of talent but he just amplifies that talent he he um he's a great striker and he'll throw just about anything. He has real knockout power, averages four over four takedowns a fight, and has a 90% takedown defense. I think if Benil was fighting anybody else in the division, excluding Islam and Charles, maybe he takes a win. But I don't see him beating Gamrot. I think Gamrot's that guy. I think he's next up in the division. And I love Benil, but I got to go with Gamrot here. 
Gamrot the pick for Alex Henry. So Dariush, I agree with you that he is very overlooked in the UFC. He's 21-4-1 with five wins by KO and eight wins by submission. Trains out of Kings MMA in California. He's on a seven-fight winning streak, four of those wins coming inside the distance, and they have been over guys like Drew Dober, Tony Ferguson, and Drakkar Close. His last fight was a decision win over Tony Ferguson, and Dariush only landed 23 significant strikes in that fight but landed a takedown in all three rounds to wrestle his way to a victory. He has landed eight takedowns in his last two fights. For Gamrots, 21-1 with one no contest with seven wins by KO and five by submission. He lands 51% of his strikes, and you mentioned that 90% takedown defense, which to me is really important in this fight on Saturday afternoon against Benil Dariush. Oh, yeah. In Gamrot's last fight, of course, it was that incredible decision win over Armin Tsarukian. Gamrot landed over 100 strikes in that fight and was able to mix in his wrestling as well by landing six takedowns. Gamrot is a fantastic wrestler, but he can keep the fight on the feet too if he wants. I would be shocked if he knocked out Dariush, but Gamrot overwhelms his opponents with volume and diversity. Both fighters can wrestle, but I see more of a wrestle-heavy approach from Dariush than I do Gamrot here. Both fighters can strike too, but I see more of a well-balanced striking approach from Gamrot than I do Dariush. Both fighters have been hot lately, and I think this comes down to whether or not Dariush is able to take down Gamrot and keep him there like he did in his fight against Ferguson. Personally, I think Gamrot keeps it on the feet enough to steal two rounds to pick up the biggest decision win of his career and bring Dariush's win streak to an end. So our first agreement of UFC 280 comes here for Mateusz Gamrot. Let's move along, though, to the bantamweight division. Two bantamweight fights on this card back-to-back. Let's start with the number one ranked bantamweight in the world, Piotr No Mercy Jan, taking on the number 12 ranked bantamweight. Number one versus number 12. Of course, it's Sugar Show himself, Sean O'Malley. O'Malley's the plus 255 underdog, and Jan is the minus 305 favorite at the time of this recording. Alex, a crazy fight made here in the bantamweight division. Who do you think is going to win? Jake, you know how much this fight breaks my heart, don't you? You understand how much I love Piotr Jan and how much I love Sean O'Malley. So this fight for me is like, it's like watching your two kids just have to fight each other. Not that I have two kids and I would ever make them fight each other or that I would know what that feels like, but that is what it feels like for me. Stylistically, the Piotr Jan is one of the best Muay Thai style fighters there is in the UFC. He throws with a lot of intent and volume. He has a great 90% takedown defense. One of his great strengths is his cardio and his durability He has shown he can take a lot of pressure and still keep putting out volume after every round. Um, He's also really good at checking range, which is going to be very huge for him. You'll see him in a lot of his fights, you know, in his Muay Thai guard, and then he'll throw out his left hand, like, constantly. Almost like he's throwing feints, but he's not throwing feints. He's just just checking range. He'll do that a lot. Um, Sugar Show is the hardest striker to figure out in the UFC. You cannot figure him out. It's because Sean O'Malley jumped straight into MMA without any background in any other martial arts. He just did MMA. So 
learning just to do MMA means you kind of learn the things you want to do in MMA and you can build your style, not build around your style. Meaning if you're a wrestler, you build around being a wrestler. But if you're nothing, you just pick, oh, I like this, I like this, I can do whatever I want. And that's what makes Sean O'Malley so good. Uh, he's He's got good feints, he's got good traps. He has a lot of power, and people underestimate that because he looks so skinny, but he throws with intent. <sighs> if Piotr Jan wasn't on a losing skid, I would seriously pick Sean O'Malley. Because if there's a fight in the Bantamweight division for Sean O'Malley to win, it is this fight against Piotr Jan. Piotr Jan's historically a slow starter, and it's a three-round fight. So that gives O'Malley the edge if he could take the first round. And Piotr Jan's a slow starter, not because he wants to just lose the first round on purpose. He's a slow starter because he's trying to figure out his opponent, right? Sean O'Malley's the hardest guy to figure out in MMA. You can't figure him out. Uh, so, like People have made the argument that Sean O'Malley's a slow starter in the beginning of his fights, but I would just say he's just doing his thing. It's, it's not the same as Piotr Jan. But Piotr Jan will have his striking coach, which he hasn't had his striking coach because of visa difficulties, which I think is a big uh, contributor in this fight as well, being able to be come to his striking coach and hear what he has to say. So Piotr Jan's been losing. He does not like to lose, and he'll have his striking coach. He should be the champ right now. So I'm going with Piotr Jan, but I am not doubting Sean O'Malley whatsoever. Piotr Jan should not be the champion right now. I wholeheartedly disagree with Piotr you. Piotr robbed. No, I wholeheartedly disagree with you, but I'll get into my breakdown here. For Jan, he's so well-rounded. He lands over half of his strikes and over 60% of his takedowns. You mentioned his 90% takedown defense, but I don't really think he'll need to access that skill set against a guy like Sean O'Malley. His Muay Thai guard is so solid, it allows him to defend shots, walk forward, and land heavy blows for himself. He also has a long average fight time of over 16 minutes due to his style in the cage, like you talked about, where he studies and analyzes his opponents early in the fight before stepping on the gas pedal. His last fight was that split decision loss to Aljamain Sterling for the bantamweight belt, and you can argue with that decision all you want, Alex, but I think it should have been unanimous for Sterling. Jan had his moments, <laughs> landed some accurate, powerful strikes, but oh, Sterling controlled him in that fight. Jan proved he can deal with longer guys like O'Malley in his fight against Sandhagen, which I think is really important. And Jan takes the first round or two off to study his opponent, which is great for five-round fights. But this, this is three rounds. So he can't afford to take a round or two off against O'Malley or else he's going to lose by decision for O'Malley. We're both O'Malley fans, man. He trains out of MMA lab in Glendale, super lengthy, knows how to fight with range, uses feints so effectively and is accurate with his strikes. Variety is key for O'Malley when talking about his striking. He can throw so many fighters off with his feints, like I mentioned, and he throws so many different strikes, including spinning attacks with every limb attached to his body. I am worried about O'Malley's strength of competition, though. He's notorious for not taking difficult fights, and now all of a sudden, he's going to find himself across the cage from Piotr Jan, who is as dangerous as it gets in the bantamweight division. Yeah. The only way for O'Malley to win is to come out aggressive and to fight at a distance. But Piotr Jan 
has won fights against lengthy bantamweights in the past, including Corey Sandhagen. What I worry about most is Jan's strategy, though. In title fights, he's, com he's comfortable losing the first round or two to figure out his opponents, but this is a three-round fight on Saturday. He can't afford to study O'Malley for too long, but I still think Jan is one of the best bantamweights in the world right now. I think O'Malley's mouth got him in to a bad position here. He's climbing too fast. I could see him win by decision, but I have to go with Jan. He was simply one of the most talented mixed martial artists in the bantamweight division. Jan by decision is my pick. And like Sandhagen, I don't think O'Malley is really going to put his head down too much after losing to Jan. Yeah, it, you know, you made a lot of good points. First off, Tim Welch, uh, Sean O'Malley's head coach. He is very smart, right? So, like, if there's any coach that could coach Sean O'Malley to beat Piotr Jan, I think it'd be Tim Welch, 100%. You talk about uh, Piotr Jan's power. Something that really does worry me is leg kicks. Sean O'Malley has struggled with leg kicks, and not because I think he's brittle and weak. Everybody thinks Sean O'Malley struggles with leg kicks because his legs are too skinny and he's too tall, so when he gets kicked, he buckles. No, that's what it looks like. Sean O'Malley doesn't check his kicks. Now, in his last fight, he was checking kicks more often before it ended. So I think that helps him. But if there's one time that he doesn't check a kick versus a powerful Muay Thai fighter who liked to just kickbox, that's going to be a lot of trouble for him. And I think, you know, Sean O'Malley, people try to figure him out. And that's how they lose because then he'll catch you, he'll trap you. If I'm Piotr Jan in this fight, I'm just going in. I'm a, I am know I'm a good volume striker. I know I'm probably more powerful. I have way higher fighter IQ than Sean O'Malley, which is saying something because Sean O'Malley has a really high fighter IQ as well. And I'm just going in there and I'm just trying to kill him off the bat. And it's just hard, though, because you, you talked about the last thing you said was you think it was too high of a step for O'Malley. I think this was a perfect fight for O'Malley because if he – loses this fight, it doesn't hurt his stock any. If anything, Sean O'Malley could lose, but if he can prove in a couple rounds that he could hang with a guy like Piotr Jan, he's proving to himself that he's already one of the best Bantamweights being able to hang in there with Piotr Jan if he doesn't just get knocked out. And if O'Malley can beat Piotr Jan, I mean, this is high risk, high reward. If he could... Or it's low-risk, high-reward. It's the best-case scenario. He loses, eh, whatever. O'Malley fans aren't going to care. The UFC is not going to care. He'll still get main card fights. And if he wins, he gets a shot at the belt. I agree to, with you to a certain extent. I mean, to me, it's number one versus number 12. So to me, it doesn't make sense to have this matchup take place. And you're more of a stickler when it comes to rankings than I am. I think rankings somewhat don't matter it's more styles make fights and where people are at their in their career or name value exactly name value yeah exactly so you're definitely more of a stickler on rankings than I am mm -hmm. but I can recognize number one versus number 12 does not happen very often and if you're just looking at the rankings I would have rather seen Sean O'Malley take on a guy like Ricky Simone maybe Frankie Edgar in his retirement fight in New York this December maybe Rob Font would make sense as well um, I know he has Ricky Simone, like I said, called him out. Maybe Song Yidong. Like, those guys ahead of him in the rankings, to me, made way more sense than jumping all the way up to number one to face off against Piotr Jan. But I do agree with you to the extent where it's high risk, high reward. 
you know, he goes in there, he loses to Piotr Jan. I don't think that Sean O'Malley's stock gets hurt all that much. I don't think he gets hurt at all. Right, because it is Piotr Jan. Yeah. I mean, he's going to drop all that undefeated champ, uncrowned champ, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. That's going to go away. Because I agree that loss against Chido Vera, you know, he kind of injured his own his own foot, went right. down. We all know how that went down. But if he loses, that all goes away. That hurts. But I don't think Sean O'Malley, as the personality, as the fighter in the UFC, gets hurt a lot if he loses to Piotr Jan. And if Piotr Jan wins, does it do much for him either? I mean, if anything, it puts him right up there for a title fight again in the bantamweight division, depending on who wins in the championship fight. Right. But, yeah, I agree with you. High risk, high reward. For yeah, for me, no, I actually I do agree with you. For as an O'Malley fan, and if I'm O'Malley, I like this fight. But if I'm a UFC matchmaker, from that perspective, I do think it is a silly fight to make. I think there were way better fights to make for O'Malley in terms of building his skills, seeing him go up in competition. And I do agree, and I would have liked to see that. But considering I'm an O'Malley fan, there is some bias here in terms of this fight probably would have helped him more than him taking two more fights to get to a fight where he's at right now. So I do act, I do agree with you more than I guess I made it sound like. Yeah, exactly. And bantamweight stacked right now too. It's one of the best the, divisions it's the in the best UFC. weight class in UFC. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, we were talking about matchmaking and bookers. I think, was there a story about Dana White kind of double thinking this, this fight here with Jan and O'Malley? He wasn't too sure. He had to look over it twice and say, all right, I guess this is what we're doing, and it's happening this Saturday at UFC 280. Let's get into the bantamweight title bout, though. We mentioned it's probably one of the best divisions, if not the best division, in the entire UFC. We get to see a title bout this Saturday as well. Of course, the champion is Aljamain Funkmaster Sterling. He won the belt with a split decision win over Piotr Jan, and then he's taking on the number two bantamweight in the world, it's TJ Killashaw, Dillashaw. Dillashaw is a plus 145 underdog. Aljamain Sterling, the minus 170 favorite. Alex, I know you're a big Dillashaw guy. Does that weigh in to your decision here? 100%, Jake. I mean, first off, my favorite fighter of all time, at top three, is Cody Garbrandt. And getting into the sport, slowly being able to watch Cody and uh, TJ go back made me become a TJ fan because they're both pretty much the same dude except one of them cheated and one of them didn't. But that aside, I do really like TJ. Uh, He's only lost to the best in the division, Jake. Uh, He looked great versus Sanhagen. I I know I said that I think he won the fight, and ultimately I still agree with that take, Um, but I do – totally understand the point of people thinking that Sanhagen won. Either way, he looked great in the fight, considering uh, circumstances, considering he had been out for so long, considering he was hurt during the fight, and Sanhagen's a very, very good prospect, so he looked good in that fight. But Jake, the thing about TJ Dillashaw, he has the best footwork in UFC history. He, he is so good on the feet, he does a great job at staying on the outside angle, and his kicks are really, really good as well. Not just his leg kicks, but his head kicks. He can use his left foot and his right foot. Um, he also has great takedown defense, and his cardio is also great. TJ Dillashaw is literally, when he left the UFC, he was one of the best 
fighters in the UFC. Aljo is a really good grappler uh, who has learned to strike. If Aljo gets it on the ground, I know he can win uh, because he's so good at taking the back. And that's the one thing that I will give him versus Piotr Jan. If he was able to get him down on the ground, he was able to take his back like so incredibly fast, which is the most important skill in wrestling. Um, his his striking is pretty odd but effective. He switches up kicks um, and range punches, but then closes the distance just to shoot takedowns instead of coming in and striking to set up a takedown. Uh, he'll strike outside and then come in and not strike and just do a takedown. If Aljo can get takedowns, then Aljo wins. But every round TJ Dolishaw can keep it on the feet, there's no doubt in my mind that he wins that fight maybe some eight, ten rounds. Every fight he can keep it on every round he can keep it on the feet. So in a five round fight, it makes it hard to pick when I know that TJ's a literal legend and I don't see Aljo taking TJ Dillashaw down that much. And I know TJ Dillashaw has really good cardio and Aljamain Sterling has questionable cardio. At the end of the day, it's one of these things where I think even if TJ Dillashaw does get taken down a couple rounds, I think he can still dog it out. He's one of my favorite fighters of all time, and I see him dogging out on Saturday. I've often said that in the sports world, I don't like the term got that dog in him. And my only exception is the UFC, because the UFC is one of those sports that you can win a fight purely off of showing how tough you are. TJ Dillashaw if anything, has proved how tough of a fighter he is. So considering everything there, if worse comes to worse, I still think TJ can win just by his toughness alone. So I'm going with TJ Dillashaw. High praise for the underdog TJ Dillashaw. I'll start with Sterling. He's 21-3 and with eight submissions, and he's on a seven-fight winning streak. He trains out of Team Sarah Longo in Long Island. He's one of the best submission artists in bantamweight history he can struggle to get fights to the ground as he only has a 22 percent takedown accuracy and his ability to defend takedowns isn't great either at 41 percent of course that last fight we mentioned it against Piotr Jan sure he went two for 22 in takedown attempts in that fight but he controlled Jan for over eight minutes yep. and absolutely won it in my opinion nope Sterling <laughs> You need to stop your Piotr Rob Dion take. That is such a bad take from you, Alex. But Sterling does have good striking differential, and he can be dangerous on the feet with good pressure, variety, footwork, and he keeps distance with leg kicks. I feel like his career has kind of been shadowed and criticized by his reaction to what happened in the first Piotr Jan fight, but I think we both can agree that that's not Sterling's fault. He's still a great bantamweight, and he holds the belt right now. For a very legitimate reason for Dillashaw. I mean, you kind of wrapped it up very well for Dillashaw. He's 18 and four with eight wins by KO and four title defenses in the UFC. He has an 86% takedown defense as he's only been taken down by two fighters in his career. Mm. And he averages nearly two takedowns a fight in offense. His pace and nonstop footwork puts a ton of pressure on his opponents his last fight was that split decision win over Corey Sandhagen in July 2021. I was shocked by the decision. I still am shocked by the decision, and I absolutely thought Sandhagen won the fight. Dillashaw did show his fighting spirit against Sandhagen, though. You mentioned he had the dog in him. I'm not really concerned about the layoff and injury 
for Dillashaw because he came off an even bigger layoff when he fought Sandhagen. I know you're a big fan of Dillashaw, and I feel like it's because of that footwork and because of his Muay Thai style. He's kind of similar to Jan with his mix of wrestling and striking, but he relies on a great stance where he can slip in and out. I think the betting line is a bit off here. I think Dillashaw should not be a 2-1 to underdog, but I think it's fair to pin Sterling as the favorite, and I'm going with the favorite. Sterling proved me wrong in his last fight against Jan. I gave him no chance against Jan, and I really don't feel like doubting the current champion again. Sure, Dillashaw can threaten the champion in so many ways, but Sterling has the tools to win. I think he's the better grappler here in this fight as well. If he keeps his distance doesn't act wild, and has a good process up until the fight, then I can see Sterling winning by potential submission, but I'll go with a decision win for the Funk Master, Aljamain Sterling. Jake, your whole breakdown, I'm like, wow, he's going to pick TJ. Because you made so many good points for TJ to beat Aljo. I think, and then you're just switching yeah. up and picking Sterling? So when I was doing my notes... I remembered a podcast that we did. I can't remember the exact fight. Maybe you will because it was your prediction. But there was a fight that you were predicting. I think it was moreno Figueredo 3. And you were giving your breakdown. You were all on Davison. Uh And then you were like, but actually, I'm going to pick Moreno. Or no, you were all on Moreno. And then you ended up picking Davison or something like that. But you gave so many points as to why you were picking one fighter. And then your reasoning for picking the other was... Just because. And I remember that breakdown from you so vividly. And I was like, man, am I kind of doing that right now with Sterling Dillashaw? I feel like I kind of am. But with Sterling, I really think he's the better grappler. And I think if he takes his back in any of the rounds, he might be able to get a submission win. And if he can do that can in... Can he take his back, though? It's the I question. think so. I think so. And if he can do it in two, three rounds, maybe gets a 10-8 himself and wins by decision. I really think... That can happen for Sterling. And like I said, I gave him no chance against Jan. I don't think you did either. We were both so heavily on Jan in that no, last yeah, fight. I didn't give him a shot. And he proved us both wrong. Yo, I could actually see Aljo getting a 10-8 round, Jake, too. Um, I'm not going to say I can't see that because he is very dominant when he does get it on the ground. And TJ kind of has shown that he's comfortable on the ground because TJ does think he's some great wrestler when he's only an average MMA wrestler. So, I get that, but I feel like also TJ should know that he doesn't want to be on the ground for this fight. He should know he wants to win on his feet. And with his takedown defense, only been taken down twice in the UFC by Dominic Cruz and... uh, I don't know the other takedown. It's Dominic Cruz and then another guy who is a nobody. Yeah, and a nobody. I mean, it's it's tough for me to say that I think that Al Jermaine Sterling when his only key to win can take down T.J. Dillashaw is wrestling and maybe getting a submission to pick against T.J., where I know T.J. is going to have power. I know he has better cardio. I know he's going to be able to beat Aljo. And the one thing I didn't mention in my breakdown is I think both of these guys have something to prove. I think Aljamain Sterling wants to prove that he's the legitimate champ. You mentioned that people don't like Aljo. And there still might people might be people that are like, ah, Piotr Jan, whatever, whatever. A win versus TJ Dillashaw, he can finally say, look, I am the champ. This is one of the legends of the sport. I beat him. For TJ Dillashaw, man, what a story for him to say, yeah, you know what? 
I might have cheated in the past. I did my time. I've been hurt. But this time I did everything right. I tested clean. Fingers crossed. Tested clean. Trained hard. And I earned this belt. And I think that that is so much more to prove and, like, earn people back. Because TJ Delashaw, I'm in the pretty unpopular opinion, Jake, of being a TJ Delashaw fan. A lot of people do not like TJ Delashaw. He is somewhat of a villain in the UFC. So for him to be able to win like that, I think would be a pretty big deal. Yeah, I'm one of those people. I don't really care for Dillashaw all that much. Um, but I agree with you that Dillashaw has more to prove here. Yep. He does. And for me, I don't think Aljamain Sterling really has anything to prove. I think he proved what you were talking about in that last fight against Piotr Jan. I think he proved that, hey, I am the undisputed bantamweight champion. I think so, too. I deserve to be here. And with me, with that fight, I think the weight was lifted off of Aljamain Sterling's shoulders so much to where he's actually going into this fight as a free man, a free fighter, the true funk master. And I really expect to see some greatness out of Aljamain Sterling and maybe a looser Sterling than we saw in the first two fights against Jan. I know that first fight against Jan was terrible. He was getting outclassed in every single round Mm -hmm. until the illegal strike by Jan, of course, but that was a completely different Sterling than we saw in his last fight, and I expect to see an even better Aljamain Sterling in this fight. Alex, I know you had a question for me, though, when it comes to the bantamweight division and Aljamain Sterling in particular. Yeah, Jake, I think, you know... I'm not a crazy Aljamain Sterling fan, but I do like him. If Aljo can win this fight versus TJ Dillashaw, does that put him in the top pound-for-pound rankings? The top pound-for-pound rankings as of today are Alexander Volkanovsky at 1, Israel Adesanya at 2, Charles Oliveira at 3, Kamaru Usman at 4, Francis Naganu at 5, Leon Edwards at 6, and then Aljo's right there at 7. If he wins this fight versus TJ Dillashaw, is he a top five pound-for-pound guy? I would have to say yes. Because right now, I don't consider Francis Naganu a top five pound-for-pound fighter. Not only has he not fought in a long time, of course, the injury. I know that last fight against Cyril Gaon showed everything and more in terms of his, fight, his, his fighting spirit and his ability to wrestle to take the win against Gaon. But I really don't consider Naganu a top five pound-for-pound guy right now. I know he holds a belt, but we don't even know if he's going to fight in the UFC again. Right. So for me, just that alone takes him out of my pound-for-pound pound rankings. So that would move Leon up to five. Aljamain Sterling would move up to six. And if Sterling beats Dillashaw, I would definitely put Sterling above Edwards and put Sterling right there at number five. Yeah, I mean, TJ Dillashaw is one of the best fighters in UFC history in terms of bantamweight division anyway. So if he can beat... TJ, I say why not put him in the top uh, five? I 100% agree. Francis has done really nothing. Kamaru lost his last fight. Now, I'm not saying he should go from number one to ten, but I also didn't think he was number one for a really long time either. I think four is a good spot for Usman after that loss. Yeah, I agree. I think four is, aver- I think four is good, and I think he should have been at two uh, for a while anyway. So I think that works, and I think he definitely deserves it. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about the man holding the third spot in the men's pound-for-pound rankings, though. That man, of course, is Charles Dubronx Oliveira. He is, of course, the number one-ranked lightweight contender because 
The title is vacant, and he will take on the number four lightweight contender in the world, Islam Makachev. And before we get into the fight breakdown, Alex, is a different Alex going to partake in this fight? Of course, I'm talking about Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Do you think he comes into consideration here? Yeah, I mean, Charles can't make weight of era. Uh, he struggles. I, I, we've seen it. And something I want to mention, which I haven't seen anybody talk about, so breaking news right here. Charles has missed two training days in Abu Dhabi. He's missed two. We're talking about a guy who was overweight his last weigh-in and caused him to lose his belt, and he has missed two training days. Now, mind you, this is the week of the fight. So if he was going to miss some training days, it would be this week where he's trying to rest before the fight. But it wasn't this week. It was last week. He's playing with Tigers. And I don't get it. I don't understand. He's completely overlooking Islam. He said that Islam isn't the toughest fight he's had. He's saying he's going to end it in the first round. So for me, I think Alex Volkanov- Alexander Volkanovsky stepping in as the backup is more of a real situation than most people are saying. Now, I'm hoping that Charles realizes the significance of this fight and he realizes the significance of him missing weight again and he realizes that, okay, last time was a mistake in my eyes. It shouldn't have happened. It was a fluke. So I'm going to make sure everything in my power that I don't miss weight again. At the same time, Volk could step up in there. And if that's the case, Volk versus Islam... It's an interesting fight because I don't see Islam missing weight. I would rather see Volkanovski Oliveira, but I mean, Volkanovski Makachev, that's a great fight too. It's definitely an interesting situation that we'll obviously have to wait to see how it plays out this coming week with Alexander the Great. I personally don't think he's going to get in the cage on Saturday afternoon. I hope not. I think it will be Oliveira versus Makachev. But Alexander the Great, he's lurking over that fight. He's ready to step in if he needs to. A very, very interesting storyline there surrounding UFC 280. But let's break it down. Oliveira, Makachev, Alex, go ahead. Well, Charles is on his way to becoming the best Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu fighter of all time. If he can get this win discussion for best lightweight of all time, And if he's in the discussion for best lightweight of all time, that kind of puts him in a GOAT conversation, considering how many people think Khabib Nurmagomedov's the GOAT. So this is a pretty big fight for Charles. Um, But looking aside from that, um, his submission ability is really, really good. But he's also a very powerful striker when he wants to throw, which is more times than not. However, he will get a little too excited in those striking matches, Jake. And we've seen him get caught quite often, and I get very excited. Um, He averages a little more than two takedowns a fight, but only a 40% takedown defense. The thing with that is Charles doesn't have to get you on the ground to submit you because he's pretty much dangerous everywhere. Islam, he's a beast. He'll probably have more of a home court advantage because of the Muslim population and how they have backed Khabib in the past, and they're in Abu Dhabi, which I think will help him a lot. Um... Islam's one of the best Sambo fighters in UFC history already. Uh, Sambo is pretty much just like wrestling and judo. Had a baby, I guess. I don't know how to really uh, describe it well. I hope that was a good 
uh, description. But um, when he leans more on that judo side, he's very successful. He trips. He gets single legs. Um, he's a pretty good striker as well. But my one worry about Islam is he will work for a takedown for a long time. And in a five-round fight, he will get worn out doing that. And that leaves options for Charles to snatch a submission. Uh, he averages around three takedowns a fight. And a lot of that has to do with the sometimes long grappling exchanges he will get into uh, when he just takes too long to get a takedown. Therefore, he doesn't get too many. And a lot of people compare Islam to Khabib, but Khabib wanted to get you on the ground right away and grapple you on top, where Islam will work for a takedown for a really long time just to get to a position where Khabib would come out, come back in. And that's what that chain style wrestling is. Um, I've said multiple times, Jake, I said, I'm done betting against Charles. Because every time I bet against Charles, he proves me wrong. And then I just feel dumb. And I'm like, why didn't I pick Charles? Because I kind of already knew he was going to win anyway, and I just didn't pick him. Yeah, that happened with Justin Gaethje. <sighs> yep. I got, that, I got that pick over you. You did. So I'm going to do it one more time. <laughs> I'm picking Islam here. Of course you are. Uh, I, look, I think that Islam is more dominant. I think he has way better pressure, way better wrestling. And, uh, I mean, he's going to pose a threat to Charles even if Charles is on his back. Like, it won't matter. Um, I think that he's going to be able to defend the submissions and I'm picking Islam to beat Charles here. Um, it's very scary for me to pick against Charles. If Charles can beat Islam, I will never pick against him again. Charles could be 47 and still fighting MMA. And I will pick Charles if he wins this fight. His chin scares me. But, uh, I, I mean, he could maybe get knocked out. I don't see him getting a submission here. And I don't really see him beating on the ground. I think Islam is that dude. If there's any dude to beat him, it's going to be... Makashev. Interesting, man. Oliveira, we know who he is. We know what he's about. He's 33-8 and eight with one no contest, with nine wins by KO, and 21 wins by submission. He's on an 11-fight winning streak, easily the best submission artist in UFC history, and he has great kickboxing uh, skills as well. He lands 54% of his strikes and has a 57% takedown defense. That last fight of his was the first round submission win over Justin Gaethje. Oliveira simply followed his typical style where he gets rocked early, shows off power in his hands, and then wraps up a choke. The jiu-jitsu striking and submission ability is unlike any other in the UFC. Oliveira's opponents can't keep up with his pace and his speed. He wears out his opponents and then pounces the moment he sees an opportunity to finish a fight. For Makachev, he's 22-1 and with 10 wins by submission, 66% takedown accuracy with 88% takedown defense. He absorbs an absurd .84 strikes per minute in the cage. And like you said, averages over three takedowns per fight. But that's really because he dominates his opponents when he gets them to the canvas. So he's not racking up a bunch of takedowns, but when he gets them, he's keeping his opponents on the ground for a long time. Makachev, not only is he a great wrestling specialist, but it's his aggression, it's his speed, and it's his finishing capabilities in takedown attempts and grappling that differentiates him from the rest. Of course, his last fight was a first-round KO win 
over Bobby Green. It was yet another dominant performance in the dominant career of Islam Makachev. A concern that I have for Makachev is his strength of schedule. Oliveira has fought the best of the best in his title run and has been dominant, whereas Makachev's opponents have been Bobby Green and Dan Hooker. Those are his best opponents. I know Makachev has the ability to win this fight against Oliveira. There's a reason he's favored in this fight. But I can't ignore the fact that he has only beaten one of the top 10 ranked lightweights in the UFC. I can't ignore that fact. I always said that there were two men that could beat Charles Oliveira. One, Alexander Volkanovsky. And two, Islam Makachev. Now that the fight's here, I had an incredibly tough time picking who's going to win. Charles can strike and submit. Islam can wrestle and submit. My official pick, though, is going to be the uncrowned champion, Charles Dubronx Oliveira. I think he'll be able to fight his style of fight, keep it on the feet, and if he gets taken down, then I can even see Oliveira rolling or even getting a submission win off of his back. Oliveira is going on a run that no UFC fans will forget anytime soon. And if he beats Makachev, then I think Volkanovski is next. And if Bal- if Oliveira beats him too, then he might be the best lightweight champion we've ever seen. You mentioned the GOAT conversation. I think Charles takes a step in that direction on Saturday by beating Habib's protege in Islam Makachev. You know, I have often said, Jake, that I don't believe in luck in UFC. And that is true in the terms of when I talk about luck. I think that Charles Oliveira is lucky in terms of he hasn't gotten knocked out yet, in terms of he's been able to capitalize on every situation. Not in terms of how we usually talk about luck, where that was a lucky shot or his timing was really good. But for Charles to be able to make it this far, I say that's luck. For him to be overlooking Islam the way that he is, and acting like he literally said he's going to finish it in the first round. He's insane. It, I tell you what, Jake, I'd make a bet with you that this dude Charles will not be Islam in the first round, no matter how confident he is. I would not be surprised. If Charles beats him in the first round. I would not be surprised, man. <sighs> oh, my goodness. But We saw what happened to Justin Gaethje. This is not, Oliveira keeps this is on not, doing it. This is not Justin Gaethje. I, I, this is, I recognize Jake, that, too. I recognize that. You you talk about Islam. Oh, he only beat Bobby Green. He did you see the way he beat Bobby Green? Yeah, but Bobby Green did you, is in. Did you watch the way that he beat Dom, Bobby Green? How dominant he beat him? Yes, but he Bobby Green it. isn't Dustin Poirier. Bobby Green isn't Justin Gaethje. Bobby Green isn't Michael Chandler. The thing is, Jake, he didn't need to prove that he could beat those guys to be able to get a title shot, and no. that's why he has a title shot. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I don't like, need to. I don't need to see anything. Sometimes for Sean O'Malley, for example, I want to see a little more out of him before I let him get the title shot. For your boy Hamzat, I've said multiple times, I want to see a little more out of Hamzat before I get a title shot because I haven't seen enough. I've seen all I need to see with Islam to know that he has a shot to beat Charles Oliveira. I agree with you, and the odds makers agree with you as well. That's a that's the reason he's favored in this fight against Oliveira. Yeah. But it's still a concern of mine when I see that Oliveira's last three opponents in Chandler, Poirier, and Gaethje. No Dagestan wrestlers. I get that. No I get that. But Sambo those guys, all beast. three of those guys are still in the top five rankings of the lightweight division. Makachev has one win over the top ten guys in that division. It concerns me, and I 
I'm not saying that Makashev should have had another fight before we got to the title. I thought this was the fight to make, and I agree that Makashev has the tools. He's shown what he can do. He deserves a title fight, but it still makes me concerned that he hasn't fought the best of the best in his respective division yet. Yeah, well, he will Saturday. That he will. And he will beat them. We'll see what happens, if Islam, I'm going Oliveira. If Islam doesn't win, I'm quitting the podcast. <laughs> I'm going to be so sad. It's going to be a solo narration by me. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure how many people will be interested in that. <laughs> but let's talk about what will happen depending on the winner of the lightweight division. So if Charles Oliveira wins, I kind of mentioned it, I think the next fight to make at lightweight is actually involving the featherweight champion in Alexander Volkanovsky. Do you agree with that sentiment, or do you think the both champions do what they want to do in their respective divisions? Nurmagomedov comes out of retirement. It's going to be a movie, Jake. If for some, do you really think that can happen? If for some reason that Islam loses, which he won't, but let's just say he does, then Nurmagomedov's going to be there. Oliveira doesn't want to really... I don't think Oliveira wants to fight Volkanovski as much as Volkanovski wants to fight Oliveira. There's not many fights to make in the lightweight division. Obviously, if my boy uh, Gamrock can get a win, I think he has a huge step up. Obviously, Dustin and Chandler are going to fight, and you know maybe one of them get an opportunity. Conor McGregor is also an opportunity that and can be there. that's a fight that Oliveira is wanting. Of course he does. He, he wants, wants the easy old guys that he can beat. Oh, let me beat easy. McGregor's an let easy beat, old guy. Let it's me the beat payday. guys. Let me beat guys that are on their way out. It's the payday. It's no. not that he's a easy old guy. It's I agree payday. with that. But I'm the, Nurmagomedov's there. He says, "I smash you. I could smash you." Charles Oliveira comes out of retirement, and then who is the best lightweight of all time? Well, I think that's kind of getting tested here because I think there's more similarities with Makachev and that's Habib. What, than you alluded to in your breakdown. Yeah, I don't think they are as similar. I think they are Even though everybody wants to say, you know, they're both Dagestan wrestlers and they train together and they both fight bears, so therefore they're the same. But in terms of style, they I don't think they can be further apart in terms of just, like, how they wrestle. Yeah, I think it's pretty close, and I think that's why this fight is so interesting because it's almost like it is Oliveira versus Nurmagomedov. Mm-hmm. And I really, really don't see Habib coming out of retirement. I Why think not? he's done because of the situation with his family. I think he is done. I mean, he no that, and that's the best point you can make. That's the best point you can make. Yeah, I think Habib has walked away. He's in the UFC Hall of Fame. I think he's done. And Oliveira, like you said, there's not many contenders at lightweight. I think Benil Daryush and Gamrot, like whoever wins that fight, obviously steps up, like you mentioned. Yep. But I think the winner of that fight would have to win in impressive fashion to absolutely seal down a lightweight title fight for them. And then the same can be said at featherweight, too, though. For Volkanovski, there's not really a clear, clear no, contender. There's not. I mean, Yair Rodriguez won because of the injury to Brian Ortega. Of course, Yair caused the injury, but it wasn't that statement win that I feel like Yair needed to fight Alexander Volkanovski. I would love to see Volkanovski Oliveira. I think it's Me one too. of the most entertaining fights to be made in the UFC right now. I am concerned, though, because the UFC is going to Brazil, and then three weeks after that, they're going to Australia. Mm-hmm. So both fighters deserve to fight in their hometowns. Does one of them make a sacrifice and go to the opposing team's country? I don't know. 
that's something to keep an eye on as well. But I think that's the fight to make. But you think Islam Makachev is going to win. Mm-hmm. Who would his first title contender be? Whoever he wants. It won't be Charles. I, I think Charles could earn another spot. But if Islam wins, he's winning in dominant fashion. And that means Charles doesn't get an easy rematch, in my opinion. So I say he can take on whoever wins Dustin's match. Yeah, I think that's spot on. Makachev wins. I think he faces the winner of Poirier and Chandler. And that's going to be a fireworks matchup, too. A lot of interesting things going on at lightweight. And it all goes down this Saturday. Before we round out this podcast, Alex, give the listeners a quick rundown of your picks. Uh, I'm taking Menian Fior. Did I say that right, Jake? Menal Fior. Menal Fior. That was close enough. I'm taking Fior there. Then I'm taking Gamrot to get a big uh, win, probably in dominant fashion, honestly. I'm taking Piotr Jan. I won't be cheering for him, even though he's one of my favorite fighters in the UFC. I want him to lose to Sean O'Malley because I like Sean O'Malley that much more. But I'm picking Piotr Jan. Uh, I'm going TJ Delashaw over Aljamain Sterling. And then I am taking Islam Makachev to take Charles Oliveira's belt that he apparently has, but he lost. All right. I'm going with Caitlin Chukagian in the first fight of UFC 280. She's the more experienced fighter. I think she's slightly more talented as well. And she's the queen of winning decision wins. I think she's going to pick up a decision victory over Fior to start the card. Next, I am going with Mateusz Gamrats. I think he's just better than Dariush in most places. Dariush might be able to wrestle and chain wrestle Gamrot to the ground and keep him there, but I really don't see that happening. I think Gamrot is too talented on the feet and even too talented on the ground as well. I really expect a lot of things out of Gamrot in the lightweight division. Then you mentioned Piotr Jan, Sugar Show, Sean O'Malley. I'm in the same boat. I really want to see O'Malley pull off the upset, but... I'm lying with Piotr Jan. He's number one for a reason. I think he's one of the most talented bantamweights and one of the most talented mixed martial artists in the UFC right now. For the co-main event, I have Aljamain Funkmaster Sterling. You mentioned in my breakdown that I was leaning Dillashaw with everything I was saying, but I'm ultimately going with Sterling. I think he can take the back of Dillashaw, maybe get a 10-8, maybe get a submission victory, but ultimately I'm going with Sterling by decision. And then the main event, yet another disagreement for us. I'm going Charles Dubronx Oliveira to claim the title that he should have never lost and beat Islam Makachev and set up one of the best fights in potential UFC history against Alexander the Great Volkanovsky. Of course, like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how Volkanovsky plays into this fight on Saturday because he is a backup fighter in case Oliveira or Makachev gets injured or misses weight, as, of course, you said, Oliveira might miss weight again. But nothing but fireworks is expected on this card. And that will do it for us, the UFC crew from WZIP Sports. I hope you enjoyed this podcast for one of the most stacked UFC cards of the year in Abu Dhabi. The top three fights are must-see, and there are even prelim fights that could main event an Apex fight night. We'll see you next time in relatively short order for UFC 281 on November 12th. Until then, joining me was 
Alex Henry. And I'm Jake Murrin. Enjoy the fights, everyone, and we'll see you next time.